His overconfidence in sport is just disastrous. It leads people to take their eye off the goal, to relax, to think that they have things under control when they're actually in danger of failure. But this isn't a problem just in sport. It's also in our lives. There are many different issues that put us under pressure. And in the middle of this pandemic, there are even more than usual. There's things like restriction on our travel, a disruption of our routine, a stress in our family life, anxiety over our finances, fear about our health, worry about the future. But whatever we are facing, if we're overconfident, if we are over-optimistic, if we arrogantly think that we have all the strength and ability to handle any of these situations, then we're setting ourselves up for disaster. This is what happened to Peter. He was a remarkable follower of Jesus. He was committed, he was enthusiastic, he was courageous. But despite all of this, Peter crumbled under pressure. So what happened to him? And what can we learn from this about how we can stand under the pressure that we face each day? So we're going to read this morning from John chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 12 to verse 27. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and the fishers stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock began to crow. So this was a high-pressure situation for both Jesus and for Peter. After his arrest, Jesus was bound and he was taken to the house of Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year, says in verse 13. Now Annas, he had been appointed as the high priest uh, many years previously. And according to Jewish law, he should have been the high priest for life. 
But the Romans didn't want one person to have all of that power for a long period of time. So they frequently changed the high priests. So over the years, Annas was succeeded by five of his sons and by Caiaphas, his son-in-law. But some of the Jews, they didn't accept the Romans doing all of this. So they still looked on Annas as the high priest, the one who was still in charge, in in, in control of that Jewish religious system. He was, in many people's eyes, the power behind the throne. So in this private interrogation, before Jesus was put on trial before the Sanhedrin, that 70-member high court of Israel, Jesus here was facing what many people would think of as the most powerful man, the most powerful Jew in their society. And Annas was not playing by the rules here. He was using his political power to try to influence the the, the final result of the, what the Sanhedrin would would say when they when they, they put him on trial. He was trying to make sure that Jesus would be condemned. And trials in the Jewish system were supposed to be based on witness statements. But the high priest here questioned Jesus. It says in verse nineteen. He was trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself, which again was not the way things were done in those days. And when Jesus challenged his questioning, one of the officials struck him in the face. Again, acting illegally, punishing someone before they had been convicted. So Jesus was in a high pressure situation here. He was separated from his supporters. He was surrounded by his enemies, being questioned illegally under the threat of violence. So it was a high pressure situation for Jesus. But Peter also was under pressure that night, of course. He'd followed Jesus to that courtyard with another disciple. Now, we don't know who that other disciple is. Some people suggest that because of the way it's written in John's Gospel, it might have been John himself. But we don't know. But what we do know is that he was known to the high priest. And so he spoke to the girl on duty there and, and brought Peter into the courtyard. That says in verse 16. And so Peter, he stepped into this enemy territory. Surrounded by all of those who had gathered together for the express purpose of putting to death the one that he called the Lord. This was a dangerous and stressful situation for Jesus and for Peter. But Jesus and Peter responded so differently here. Look at verse 23. When Jesus was questioned, he denied nothing. And even when he was assaulted, he defended himself calmly and courageously. If I said something wrong, he says, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? So Jesus, he denied nothing, but in contrast, three times, Peter denied his identity as a follower of Jesus. The first was when that girl opened the door and asked, you're not one of his disciples, are you? 
And Peter replied, I am not. So what's the difference? Why did Jesus stand so courageously, so strongly under that intense pressure that night? When Peter crumbled so disastrously. Well, one difference was that Peter was not humble. Earlier, he'd been supremely confident about his own ability and strength. When Jesus said that his disciples couldn't follow him, Peter Peter protested, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Now, I'm sure we have to admire Peter's courage and commitment expressed here. Especially because these were not just empty words for Peter. Peter really had shown a level of commitment to Jesus through the, the past few years. Even when all lots of other people had left Jesus because they found his teaching too difficult to accept, Peter had stuck with Jesus. He would said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter was courageous. He was committed. But Peter didn't realise that there were some situations that he just couldn't cope with on his own. A few years ago, there was a news report uh, and it carried a story about a photographer who was a skydiver. So he jumped from a plane along with a whole lot of other skydivers and he filmed the group as they fell and then opened their parachutes. However, on the film, as the last, the final skydiver opened his chute, the picture just went crazy. And the reason for that was because the cameraman had actually jumped out of the plane without a parachute. It wasn't until he reached for that absent ripcord that he realised that he was free falling to his death. Self-confidence is like that. We don't know that we're in trouble until that moment where we need to depend on our own resources. And we don't, and we find that we don't have the strength or the resilience or the ability to handle that situation. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Jesus, he was far more realistic about Peter. Jesus knew Peter's weakness. He'd said earlier that night, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. So Jesus was more realistic about Peter, but he was also realistic about himself. Jesus didn't go into this pressured situation bursting with self-confidence. He went honestly about the challenges that he was facing. In Gethsemane, just moments earlier, he'd said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. And keep watch. 
He was honest about his struggle. And he was humble enough to ask for the support of his disciples. And God wants us to be the same. God wants us to face up to our weaknesses. He wants us to be real with just how susceptible we are to temptation. He wants us to admit that we cannot live our Christian lives on our own strength. And then he wants us to depend not on our limited resources, but on his unlimited resources. Peter was somebody who learned that that lesson in a really painful way that night. But later he wrote, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We don't stand under pressure by being strong in ourselves, but rather we stand under pressure by being honest about our weaknesses and humbly depending on God's grace. So Peter failed in part because he wasn't humble. But as a result of this, he failed to pray. In Gethsemane, Jesus asked Peter and the other disciples to pray. He said to them in Mark 14, 38, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. But they had fallen asleep. They'd missed this opportunity to connect with God's power. But Jesus hadn't. Matthew tells us that he fell, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. This was intense, real, heartfelt, desperate communion with his father. And this was characteristic of Jesus' life. We've just spent four weeks looking at Jesus' amazing prayer in John chapter 17. And this was something that that he did right throughout his, his, his ministry. Luke 5 and 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was not an empty religious ritual for Jesus. He wasn't just reciting a prayer. And then rushing into something more important. This was passionate prayer. This was desperate prayer. Crying out to his father for help. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5 and 7. He says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. Because of his reverent submission. So if this was a key part of Jesus' life, then how much more do we need to connect with God in our lives? Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. In our time of need. A while back I, I read about a missionary called Herbert Jackson. He was given a car that wouldn't start without a push. So he devised this plan to enable him to use it. 
Each morning, he'd get some school kids from where he lived to push his car off. And then during the day, he'd either park in a hill so he could have a, a, a rolling start, or he would just leave it running all day. After two years of doing this, he was to leave and another guy was to come and take over his ministry and he was going to pass on the car to him. So Jackson proudly uh, explained his arrangement for getting the car started to this new guy coming in. And as he listened, this guy had a look under the bonnet. And before Jackson had finished, he interrupted, Dr. Jackson, I believe that the only trouble is this loose cable. And so he gave it a twist, stepped into the car, turned the, turned the key, and the engine roared into life. For two years, this loose connection had kept Jackson from putting the power in his car to work. Is it possible that we sometimes struggle along in life, weighed down by the pressures of life because we are not connecting to God? Now, of course, we know that prayer doesn't always change the circumstances of our lives. It doesn't always fix all of our problems. But prayer does change us as we spend time in God's presence. So are we taking full advantage of this privilege? Are we connecting to the power that God has for us and offers to us? That night, Peter failed to do that. But later he learned this lesson. In his letter again, he wrote this, Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So let's not try and carry all those burdens ourselves. We're not designed to. But instead, let's keep on giving them to the one who can carry them, giving them to the Lord. But Peter didn't only fail to pray. He also failed to accept God's purpose. Last week, we saw Jesus complete submission to his Father's will. This is what he expressed in the garden. Matthew tells us again, he prayed, yet not as I will, but as you will. And that's why I told Peter to put his sword away. John 18 verse 11, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And so that's why he could be calm in this high pressure situation. He knew that this was God's will. And so he was single minded in his determination to fulfill God's will. But Peter was different here. Just after Jesus declared, uh, sorry, Peter declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Jesus went on to explain how he was going to be killed. But Peter took Jesus aside at that time, and Peter actually rebuked Jesus. He told Jesus off. He says, "Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you." Peter, in that moment, thought that he knew God's will better than Jesus did. In his thinking, God would never allow his Messiah to be, to be put into the hands of his religious, the, the religious leaders, his enemies. 
God would never let Jesus be killed. Maybe that's why Peter resisted Jesus' arrest in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe that's why he, he drew that sword and struck the high priest's servant. Maybe that's why he just couldn't cope when Jesus was bound and put on trial. All of this didn't fit with what Peter thought would happen. So when it did, his faith and his commitment crumbled away. And if we don't accept God's purpose for our lives, then we are also setting ourselves up for failure. You know that some people teach that those who faithfully follow Jesus will always experience perfect health, perfect wealth, and happiness in all of their, their aspects of their life right throughout their lives here and there. And so when illness or poverty or suffering comes into their lives or they find themselves in the middle of a pandemic like just now, then their faith crumbles. Because God didn't do what they thought he would do. But that's the problem, isn't it? God wasn't doing what they thought he should do. So instead we need to stand on what God has said that he will do. We need to stand on God's revealed will, not our own ideas or imaginations. So earlier in this gospel, we read how Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. So we don't need to panic when hardship or persecution, or struggle, or suffering comes into our lives. They are all part of God's plan and purpose for us. He's already told us that. But instead, we can rejoice, because Jesus went on to say, but take heart, I've overcome the world. On the cross, Jesus defeated the powers of evil. And so if we have put our faith in Jesus, if we have trusted in him as our saviour and as our Lord, then even when the world does its worst to us, we don't need to despair. That's because in Christ, we have been brought into his victory. We have so much being given to us that no, nothing and no one can take us away. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have freedom from the curse and the obligations of the law. We have fellowship with God. And we have a future that is guaranteed and that is glorious. So Peter, he failed to stand under the pressure of that night. Because unlike Jesus, he wasn't humble, he didn't pray passionately, and he didn't accept God's purpose. But finally, he also didn't reject secrecy. Matthew tells us in chapter 26, verse 58, that Peter followed Jesus at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. Now, it was great that Peter was trying to follow Jesus. Even that night, Peter still loved Jesus. But the problem was, he 
He followed him at a distance. In the garden, when Jesus was arrested, Peter was right there, standing next to Jesus. His allegiance was clear. And he had fought for him. On the way to the courtyard, Peter had held back. He hid his identity. He didn't immediately nail his colours to the mast and declare his love for Jesus. He tried to keep it a secret. And that led to that first tragic denial. But Jesus was different. When he was questioned by the high priest about his disciples and his teaching, look at what Jesus said. He said, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Now many cults and false teachers around the world have secret beliefs and secret rituals. You only find out what they really believe once they've hooked you in. You have to get go come so far before you find out what they really believe. But Jesus wasn't like that. He wasn't creating a secret society with hidden teachings and secret rituals. He didn't try and hide who he was or what he was teaching. He taught openly and in public. In fact, that is why he came. Way back when we looked at John chapter 1, we read in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus came to be the, the revelation to God, of God, to declare openly what had hidden, been hidden before. And so then his disciples were also called to be open about who they are and whom they belong to. (coughs) Excuse me. They're called to stay close to Jesus and speak openly about him. We have to say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. If we want to stand under the pressure of our lives, then we need to reject secrecy when it comes to our faith in Christ. We need to go public with our faith. We need to be open about our commitment to Christ. Let people see right from the start that we follow Jesus. I was taught that lesson many years ago. Now, many of you know that I've always been someone who's easily embarrassed, pretty shy and and introverted by nature. So when I started my studies at Glasgow University, I wasn't desperate to go in there and just tell everybody that I was a Christian right away. I wasn't going there ready to declare the truth about Jesus. But that first day, my colleagues in the lab invited me to go with them to the pub after work. And kind of sheepishly, I thanked them for the invite, but mumbled something about how I couldn't because I was going to church that night. 
Now, it wasn't a clear declaration of faith. I didn't stand up and preach the gospel or anything like that. But from that time on, everybody in that lab just accepted that I was a Christian. They just knew that's who I was. And this protected me from denying my faith because they had an idea of what I should or shouldn't be or do. And also, it gave me many amazing opportunities to share my faith over the years with them, the people who became really good friends. We are not called to be secret disciples. We're not called to go into a place and hide our identity as children of God. We need to stay close to Jesus and speak out openly about him. Of course, with with respect, with gentleness, with kindness, with sensitivity. But we also need to separate from the world. In the courtyard, the servants and officials of the high priest stood by a fire. And Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. While Jesus was being questioned and assaulted, while people were were accusing him of all sorts of things and, and literally beating him up, Peter stood with those who had arrested his Lord. He warmed himself by the fire, looking just like everybody else there, rather than separating himself from their evil actions. And it was this that led to his second and his third denials. If we want to stand under the pressure of our lives, then we need to separate from the world. This is what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we need to remove ourselves out of the world. Jesus doesn't want this. Remember his prayer in John chapter 17 when he says this. He doesn't pray for God to remove uh, move his disciples out of the world. But we need to be sanctified from it. We need to be set apart from it. We need to be different from it. Yes, we need to get close to people. We need to be friends of sinners like Jesus was. But we need to be distinct from them. We need to live, as what Peter says in his letter, as aliens and strangers in the world. If we belong, if we belong to Jesus, then we don't belong to this world. And so we shouldn't just fit in with it. We should stand out as different because we follow Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So this was a disastrous night for Peter. It wasn't fatal because of the restoring grace of Jesus, as we'll see in chapter 21. He was restored so graciously, so lovingly by by Jesus after the resurrection. But still, that night was deeply painful for Jesus and for Peter. But guys, we don't need to follow in Peter's footsteps and crumble under the pressure. 
Instead, we can follow Jesus. We can stand under the pressure because we're willing to be humble, to honestly face up to our weaknesses, because we're willing to pray passionately, fervently calling out to God for help, believing that he has the grace that that we need, that his grace is sufficient for us. We can stand up under the pressure when we are willing to accept God's purpose. Believing that although our lives include difficult times with suffering and, and struggle, Jesus has overcome this world. And we can stand under the pressure if we're willing to reject secrecy. If we're willing to stay close to Jesus, speak openly about him. And separate ourselves from this world. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for including in your word this difficult night for Peter. This this night when he was under pressure and he crumbled. Thank you for the honesty of your word, Lord. That shows us his weaknesses and his failures. Not so that we can gloat, not so that we can point the finger and criticise and condemn, but Lord, so that we can learn from his, his example. So that we don't need to follow in his footsteps. So instead that we can be like Jesus and we can stand up under incredible pressure. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be humble today. Help us to honestly and humbly admit our weaknesses, admit our, our frailties, our limitations. And come to you for the help that we need, Lord. Depend on your strength, on your grace, on your power. And help us to do that through prayer, Lord. Help us to, not to, not to pray because it's a, it's the done thing, it's our duty, or it's a, a ritual, or it's just a routine. But help us to connect with you, Lord, to connect with your power because we're desperate for you, because we're hungry for your presence, because we need you. And as we do this, Lord, help us to accept your purpose for our lives. That even although it includes difficult times, even includes uh, loss and pain and struggle, Lord, that you have overcome this world. That Jesus has defeated the powers of darkness. And so that we, we have been brought into his victory. And we can rest in that. We can rejoice in that. But even in the difficult times, we know that you are working for our good. And for your glory. And Father, I pray that you would help us to reject secrecy in our Christian lives. Lord, you know the pressures that we're under. You know how difficult sometimes we find it to speak up about you or even just be known to belong to you. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to stay close to Jesus, to follow him closely each day, to remain in him and in his love. That we would speak openly about him. Not because we're trying to criticise everybody or condemn everybody, but because we, we, we just want people to know about him. Because we love him. And Lord, help us to be separate from this world. To be different, to be distinct. Not because we think we're better, but because you have transformed our lives and you're leading us in a different direction. Lord, help us to be a living witness, to be salt and light in this decaying and dark world. Lord, I just pray you'd help us. Give us the grace that we need.
to stand under the pressure even of these days, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to stand with you, Lord. Help us to fulfill your plan and your purpose for our lives. Lord, help us not to deny our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.